Issues Etc. relies on a small group of faithful supporters called the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. These listeners have pledged to become monthly or annual contributors to Issues Etc., and this allows us to budget our expenses more efficiently. Now, there are four levels of giving. The Confessor, $25 monthly, or an annual gift of $250. The Apologist, $50 monthly, or an annual gift of $500. The Reformer, $100 monthly, or an annual gift of $1,000. And The Patron, $200 monthly, or an annual gift of $2,000. Reformation Club benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for confessional Lutheran churches. Learn more about joining the Issues Etc. Reformation Club on the support donate page at issuesetc.org and look for the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses or call Lynn 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Reformation Club. When most people hear the word Lutheran, if they recognize the word at all, if anything comes to mind, it is a church body that is presently shrinking. It is mired in basically a compromise with progressive culture, and it has long ago abandoned any fidelity to Scripture or to the biblical gospel. What's it like to know that reality from the inside out? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. It's Issues Etc. Reformation Week, our theme, Paths to Lutheranism. Joining us to describe his path from liberal Lutheranism to confessional Lutheranism, Pastor Jared DeBleck. He's former member of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the married father of two children, and associate pastor of University Lutheran Church in West Lafayette, Indiana. Jared, welcome. Thanks for having me, Todd. Looking back at your former church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and looking at it now, did you ever think it would get as bad as it has? That's a really great question. I've been separated now from the ELCA for about almost a couple decades. Actually, when you guys asked me to come on and, and talk about this, I was kind of a surreal reflection point. And I think that question is in some ways difficult at the time of leaving the ELCA, I was pretty upset with their stance on the inerrancy of scripture. And I suppose in a sense, I thought, oh, it couldn't get any worse. And now, you know, today looking back, I guess in many ways, I'm not surprised and I'm equally saddened and frustrated by that as well. Give us a little bit of information about your upbringing religiously? Yeah, so I was baptized in an ELCA church. That was kind of a circumstance of necessity. All of my mom's side of the family is Baptist, and all of my dad's side of the family is Roman Catholic. And mom said, no, I'm I'm not going to become a Roman Catholic. And dad said, well, I'm not giving up the sacraments. So they decided that they would check out this Lutheran church, and that's when they started going. My background has been, uh, I spent 17 years in the ELCA. Uh, you know, I went back and forth of caring while I was in church and not caring why I was in church, why my parents took me every week to go and didn't really come to that full point of clarity of 
what's important and the centrality of a Christ-centered view of, of Scripture and understanding the gospel until it really came to a head with this conflict, which was born out of a vote that was held in the church, but I'm sure we'll get there. What do you remember being taught as a young person in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America? I'll answer that in a couple ways. The first one is, I wasn't the best student. I mean, I was somewhat a rambunctious child, a boy uh, who uh, didn't always pay attention to his, his teachers. So <laughs> there's that part of the answer. But when it comes to thinking and reflecting on my catechesis or going through a confirmation class in uh, middle school age, I don't really remember a whole lot. Sadly, and this doesn't really look very well for my instructors, but maybe it's a, a reflection about a little bit on me as well. But the only thing I really remember was being asked, hey, Jared, if you can name one of the commandments, we'll all get to have a pizza party. <laughs> And I just remember that memory is such a core memory for me because I remember struggling to actually recall any one of the commandments. And when I think about that moment, I cringe, not only because I couldn't come up with one to kind of a little bit more on the spot there, but also because I felt as if I didn't really learn it. You talk about a revelation a couple years before the conflict that we're going to discuss here what was that? Yeah. So like I mentioned, I wasn't the best student of either in the pew or in any sort of Sunday school classroom. But I just remember one day, I, my brother and I and my two sisters, we would mess around in the pew and dad would shoot me the eye of better settle down. And it hit me one day that maybe it's important that my parents are taking me here every Sunday Maybe I should start listening to the sermons. Maybe I should start singing the hymns. Maybe I should start taking this a little bit more seriously. And so I did. I started reading the scriptures more on my own. I grew up on a farm. So I would, when I had a little bit of a lull time in the cab of a tractor, I would pull out my Bible and I would read it. And that helped me greatly when our time of conflict really came to a head at this voters meeting. But it prepared me to hear the question with an understanding of what God's Word actually says, and that bode well not only as I came into this conflict, but also in the aftermath of it as well. What does God's Word actually say? Am I convicted by God's Word? Does God's Word call me towards a faithfulness that this congregation, these pastors are actually tugging and pulling me away from, I had to wrestle with that. You mentioned being taught theistic evolution and even hearing the open denial of the existence of hell. Tell us about that. Yeah, so they would have people come in and talk to us about various issues or various topics, kind of almost as a, uh, an event for, for youth. And one of them that I remember is someone coming in, I don't know who, I believe uh, one of the pastors worked at the local or part-time professor at the local ELCA University, um, Augustana College. And I, I don't know if that was a personal contact that she had come in to talk to us or not, but this guy came in and talked to us about the varying views of creation and 
one that was promoted quite heavily was theistic evolution, the idea that God works through evolutionary means to create his world, which at the time I didn't really have any issue with. I thought that that actually made a whole lot of sense, and I really held on to that. I grew up in a public school setting where that was taught as well. Evolutionary theory was taught. And uh, it wasn't until later on in later years of my in high school where I really began to question, hey, that doesn't sound like what God's Word says. And it actually isn't all that scientific either. And then the one about the existence of hell or whether it exists or not, I don't really recall too much with that other than Someone who was uh, assisted at the church uh, was a uh, kind of a volunteer or leader in the church. And I believe this individual was going to be going off to seminary, openly denied the existence of hell. And I just remember the curiosity of that. How do you read the scriptures, the weeping and gnashing of teeth, God in Christ talking about judging, or even how we confess from the creed? and then to deny the existence of hell. I knew even then that that didn't seem right. And I remember even, I believe, talking with my father about that and him responding, well, that's not what you believe. That's not what we believe, and agreeing with him. You've mentioned several times here a conflict in the congregation. What was this all about? So again, you know, this is uh, almost a couple decades old now, but I believe there was a vote that was given to the congregation, and it was a vote on opening the ministry of the church to gay and lesbian pastors living in committed relationships. And what was the opinion of the congregation on that? I was just uh, looking not too long ago, and it seems as if there were a task force. I was looking at, uh, I believe, the ELCA's own website, and an article popped up about how they had in 2002, put forward a couple studies, and one of them was on homosexuality and and clergy. And they had this task force in order to decide what was the direction that they were going to go. Now, this was totally unknown to me. I didn't know that this was happening. I wasn't really involved in the political side, if you will, the polity side of our church body. And so it really took me by surprise when I'm at this voters meeting and this question gets posed to us as if doctrine is something that we can vote on. And I thought, surely this is going to get voted down. Don't we all know what the scriptures say? And well, I think it is still a sad and tragic thing because one, the vote was cast. And while a slight majority agreed with the scriptural point of saying, no, we believe in what the scriptures say about a man and a woman in holy matrimony and that we are basically rejecting homosexuality as a fine way of life, it still divided the church because it was only a slight majority. And from there, Todd, everything went downhill. People at the very meeting itself began shouting down anyone who voted against this ballot and saying that we hated their daughter who was a lesbian. And I just remember reflecting upon this myself and thinking, well, I don't hate her. Christ doesn't hate her. We are called to see sin, call it what it is, to be convicted by God's law, to repent and to believe in the gospel, to know that Christ has died even for that sin of same-sex attraction. 
and to live lives of repentance. I maybe would not be able to articulate it quite like that back then, but I at least knew that just from the cursory reading of scripture that this isn't how Christians believe. And this was shocking to me that the pastors just put this ballot before us without any sort of education or any sort of biblical instruction or any walking through the scriptures to say, well, this is what it says. This is how we might interpret it. None of that occurred. And yet in the aftermath of it, it was like this great cleanup job of people from the outside coming in with their own studies, perhaps even those ones that I mentioned earlier of a kind of form of indoctrinating toward this social agreement with binding it to a gospel reductionist view of the scriptures. And our family tried to stick around for the longest time, and we decided that things weren't going to change, that this was at a greater level than just our congregation, which we thought maybe it was just a, a question posed from our pastors, but in reality, it came from what we, you might say from the top down. How eye-opening was that for you at the time? Extremely eye-opening. I didn't realize, again, that you could vote on doctrine <laughs> and that you could um, conduct yourself or this your congregation in such a way that denied openly denied scripture. I didn't know what to do. And in fact, I would say that I was uh, very disappointed, not only with our pastors, but I came to loathe Lutheranism because I viewed it as a church and a church body that despised God's word that rejected the inerrancy of God's word, and I wanted nothing to do with that. I had read enough of the scriptures to know that it is true, I believed it as true, and any church body that believed it, that it was not inerrant or not completely inerrant, or that God's word is contained in the holy scriptures, that I didn't want any part of that. So I didn't want any part of Lutheranism. So you had mentioned gospel reductionism. And obviously, you weren't thinking in those terms at the time, but looking back on it, why do you use that term? I think that's how a lot of people have reflected upon this. They may not have been able to put their finger on what it was then as they were leaving the ELCA, but now as individuals like myself, as a pastor even, look back on it, I can see that when you are reducing everything in the scriptures to this gospel, that means that the law has no purpose or a low purpose, and it's a subjective standard of truth. Homosexuality is biblically okay because God is love and love is love. I can see that a lot more clearly now than I could even then. I wasn't able to express that then, but I certainly know and understand it now. So you said that your family tried to stick it out. What was that like? Pretty difficult. Like I mentioned, I was, I was already done with, with Lutheranism at this point. If you do not believe in the, the inerrancy of Scripture, I didn't want to really stick around. And people were, were leaving in, in droves, and uh, some people who I really cared about and looked up to were going to um, this more big box church, this more non-denominational kind of church not too far away. And I thought, hey, that's the place for me. They believe in the Scriptures. So I was ready to go, but my dad and family have been there for such a long time that, you know, it's difficult to leave a place. And uh, dad had served as an elder, I believe, and in other capacities at the church, had a lot of friends there. Yeah, so it was difficult to leave people who you love 
and a church that you've been a part of for so long. But I think even then I realized that a building and people who you love are less important than the scriptures and the Christ it confesses. You have mentioned several times here wanting nothing to do with Lutheranism. What was your impression of Lutheranism at the time? Well, I knew that there was potentially other Lutheran church bodies, although I will say I knew that not entirely, I wasn't entirely sure of this, other than I had heard about this Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, and the people there, and uh, that you wanted nothing to do with them. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, oh, okay, I don't really understand that. Didn't ask any follow-up questions with that. It had just come up one day, and I just remember that now, just because I am in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, and that always kind of stuck with me, the oddity of agreeing that, oh, yes, I want to avoid them. Okay, I will. <laughs> But during the time of this great conflict within the congregation, my view of Lutheranism was that this is a church body that has denied the scriptures, at least in part, and that's enough. I don't think that I really want to stick around for what comes next. Pastor Jared DeBleck is our guest. We're hearing about his path to confessional Lutheranism from liberal Lutheranism. On the other side, what was attractive at the time in that big box non-denominational church. In 1521, at the Diet of Worms, Martin Luther was asked to recant his writings. Luther responded, Unless I am convinced from the sacred scriptures that I am in error, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand, I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Will you stand with us as we proclaim these Reformation truths in the 21st century? You can take your stand by becoming a monthly or annual contributor to Issues Etc. Find out the benefits of becoming an Issues Etc. confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Click the picture of Martin Luther posting the 95 Theses. Help us proclaim the solas of the Reformation. Scripture, faith, grace, and Christ alone. Here we stand, Issues Etc., and you. When we say Lutheran, we mean Lutheran. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Lord Jesus Christ may have ascended, but you can find Him at Lutheran Church of the Ascension in Atlanta, where He is ever-present in His Word and Sacraments. Join us for the Divine Service on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Bible Study at 9 a.m. Ascension is a distinctively confessional Lutheran Church located in the Buckhead neighborhood of Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us on the web at ascension-lcms.com. Have you ever wondered about some of the more difficult topics or teachings of Scripture, such as what does the Bible say about polygamy or slavery or the free will, or what about law and gospel? The October issue of The Lutheran Witness is a twin to the August 2022 issue, and it takes up some of these difficult teachings of Scripture and explains them in detail. To get your copy, visit cph.org witness or the Lutheran Witness website witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Monday, October the 30th, 
Issues Etc. Reformation Week continues. Paths to Lutheranism is our theme. We're hearing about Pastor Jared DeBleck's travels from liberal Lutheranism to confessional Lutheranism. Folks, the Issues Etc. Reformation Club is the primary source of revenue for this worldwide outreach. It's a group of faithful listeners who pledge to financially support Issues Etc. monthly or annually. Membership benefits include shirts, books, broadcast transcripts, and advertising for your confessional Lutheran church. Please consider becoming a confessor, apologist, reformer, or patron during Issues Etc. Reformation Week. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call, 618-223-8385, the Issues Etc. Reformation Club. Jared, what appeared at the time attractive to you in that non-denominational big box church you were talking about? I think on the service level, it was the inerrancy of Scripture. I've mentioned that several times as well. I don't think I really thought of it much more in depth after that. I just wanted out of Lutheranism. I did not want anything to do with the church that denies the Scriptures, because if you deny the Scriptures, that means you're denying all the doctrines in there. That was my basic thumbnail sketch of what I knew Christianity was. Obviously, that shifted some from viewing it in that kind of narrow sense to then eventually going under instruction with a LCMS pastor and seeing that, oh, the things that I've kind of picked up over the years that I've come to appreciate and believe in, maybe I wasn't taught them well, but I viewed them, I saw them happening, namely baptism and the Lord's Supper, that I couldn't part myself from that because I did see that anchored in scripture and I could find in scripture where God spoke about those things. And I found that in the non-denominational and evangelical world that these things were talked about, but they were not believed as I had come to understand them. Namely that in baptism, we do receive the Holy Spirit and regeneration. We do receive the forgiveness of sins when we have the Lord's Supper. I just assume that those were things that existed in those other churches and come to find that they did not. You mentioned kind of the bad reputation that the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod was held in at the time. What was your first exposure to a confessionally Lutheran congregation like? Yeah, so after the decision was made in the family to leave the ELCA, we tried other places. We went to an LCMC church, that's uh, Lutheran Congregations in Mission for Christ. They leaned toward an inerrancy, but they just gave off the impression that they were more of the same. I think we also tried a brethren, Lutheran Brethren Church. We weren't impressed with that either. Some of it was due to being essentially startups, but also that we just saw in the future of these places that it was just going to be more difficulties, more problems, and less of what we wanted, which was a church that believed in the scriptures and, of course, that they retained the sacraments as well. So my first encounter then with the LCMS church was my dad had set up the meeting to visit with this pastor, Gary Wright, from Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in East Moline, Illinois. Great place. I didn't want to go. <laughs> I had already made up my mind that I wasn't going to be Lutheran. And dad told me 
I did not have a choice in this matter. And thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for his faithfulness and his leadership of our family to show us, hey, we're going to do this as a family. So you're going to come. So we sat down and visited with this pastor. I was indifferent to the first meeting. Todd, it's kind of interesting too, because there's literally a road that if you take a left, you go to that big box church that I wanted to go to. But if you take a right down that road, you go to Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church. And that's the way that we went. And you knew exactly who we were when you got to that church, because we were the only or one of the very few young families at this church. It was an odd experience because a lot of what we had in worship was the same and yet different. The hymnal was slightly different, although it looked very similar. And the liturgy was similar, although there were certain things that were changed. And then the most difficult thing that persisted for myself and our family was the big shift that when it came for communion, we couldn't receive the Lord's Supper. That confused me, and I would say probably furthered my frustration with uh, Dad's decision for us to listen to this pastor and to receive his instruction. I think that was a big hurdle for all of us to finally understand, oh, we do actually see this in Scripture about what God says about that the supper is, is to be closed, that the supper is for those who believe and have faith in these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. How was that hurdle of closed communion eventually overcome? Through instruction. The biggest thing for me was baptism initially. So just a quick point on that would be to say that when we were going through this instruction, I was, again, begrudgingly there. But when we got to the fourth chief part, and Luther's small catechism on baptism, and the pastor read those words from Romans chapter 6, that we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was risen from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And he looked at me and he said, Jared, if you go to that big box church, that's what you're going to be giving up. And the context of that, Todd, was he had been instructing us on how in holy baptism, God gives to us the newness of life because he connects us with his actual death and his actual resurrection. And that in these other church bodies, our other Christian friends, they don't look at it that way. They believe that you make a decision to follow Jesus, and then as a sign, a, an outward sign of your commitment, you are baptized. But he was teaching us from the scriptures, and quite clearly so from Paul's word, that being baptized means being baptized into the death that Jesus died for our sins. Being baptized means receiving the same resurrection that Jesus is now giving to us by way of the Holy Spirit in this baptism. And that that is the means by which we then walk as disciples, because Christ has baptized and made us disciples in his name. 
in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And when he told me, Jared, this is what you're going to be giving up, I remember in my mind thinking to myself, oh no, I'm a Lutheran. <laughs> so I began to really open up my mind to what he was instructing me because he was very focused on what does God's word actually say. And so when it came to the Lord's Supper, I was a lot more, I would say, open to hearing God's word, reading it, rereading it, and understanding it for what he was teaching. My family, they struggled a little bit more than I did. For me, it was reading 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and especially 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and the points there that speak about the Lord's Supper and how we are to discern Christ's body and blood. And to not be doing that is to heap judgment upon ourselves. And so it is actually the pastoral responsibility to bar anyone from receiving the Lord's Supper who does not have faith in these words given and shed for the forgiveness of sins, lest they receive the judgment of our Lord. And so he has a special responsibility to those who come to the communion rail that he may protect them from that judgment, whether they knowingly or unknowingly are coming to receive the Lord's Supper, whether they knowingly or unknowingly are going against that word of God. That's his duty and responsibility. And I saw a sense of not only nobility in that or a great honor and virtue in that, but also a great fidelity to the Holy Scriptures that he was willing to do what is often un an uncomfortable thing for a pastor, which is to deny a person anything, and especially the Lord's Supper. And even though that can be a difficult task, it is a task that Christ calls us to do. And I saw a commitment to God's Word that I had not seen before. That was extremely important and pivotal for me to see that not only does this man but this church and this church body, they all agree to a commitment to the scriptures, to a commitment to Christ. And that's what I want to be a part of. Speak briefly, if you would, about overcoming the hurdle of an all-male pastorate. I wouldn't say that that was a difficult one. I know that that's not always true for others, but for me, it was just simply looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3, that the overseer is uh, to be a male as it says there, that the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. So that was pretty clear to me. If you look at the order of creation, specifically Ephesians chapter 5, about the marriage between the bridegroom and the bride, it's there as well. It's all throughout Scripture. It's just, I think it's more of a social hurdle than it is an actual biblical one. Finally, what can confessional Lutherans learn from the decline and fall of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America? I think what confessional Lutherans can learn is that there is a joy in being faithful to the Scriptures that is often overlooked. Usually the problem among us is that we are so fearful of being faithful because of how charged our words can be in the ears and to the hearts of those who oppose that fidelity. But if the history of the church shows us anything, it's that fidelity of Christ, ultimately, 
but also those whom he sent, his apostles, their fidelity to his word, to his teachings, and now today, they serve to enrich the lives of the church in the salvation that Christ has won. The greater lesson for us as confessional Lutherans to know and to walk in is that when we speak the word of truth to those who don't want to hear it, yes, it can be painful for that person to hear it, but it is necessary that they hear it in order that they too may live a life of repentance and faith. That there are others out there who are craving to hear something that's real, to hear a confident voice that what the scripture says is true, and to be unequivocal about that. And so I think the greatest lesson that us as confessional Lutherans can learn when we are up against the world is to know that so is Christ, and he has called us to be faithful, and that is a great blessing. Pastor Jared DeBleck is a former member of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, associate pastor of University Lutheran Church in West Lafayette, Indiana. Jared, thank you very much. Thank you, Todd. Issues Etc. Reformation Week continues Tuesday with our theme, Paths to Lutheranism. We'll talk with Sarah St. Ange about her journey from Lutheranism to Roman Catholicism and back to Lutheranism. We'll also get a review of the movie The Exorcist, A Believer, from Pastor Ted Geese. The great tragedy of progressive Lutheranism ultimately is that it robs God's people of his word and of his gospel. They are left solely to their own devices, done all to somehow placate the culture or the world, believing that somehow if we compromise with the world, there will be peace with the world and the word of God will be heard. But by the time you get to that point, you've lost the Word of God. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Jesus the Good Shepherd says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. We invite you to join us as we listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow him who gives us eternal life. Sunday worship services at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible class at 1030, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Arnold, Missouri, on the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. That's goodshepherdarnold.org.